Well, good morning, Sunrise. Welcome to church on this great day. It's good to be here together in the Father's house, worshiping together, singing together, letting our voices just be a melody together. <clears throat> well, this morning, I feel like, um, as I was thinking and preparing for worship, I just felt like someone needs to hear this this morning, that it's not all about us having it all together this morning. We don't need to come to church all shiny and new and put together. God wants us. He wants our hearts. He is fine with our mess today. So hear these words from Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19. Paul prays, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that his love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So let that be an invitation to us this morning. When we mess mess up, we don't need to hide in shame or guilt or sin. Rather, this morning, let's, let's run to the Father. Let's give back to our hearts to Him. So why don't we stand together as we worship today. My story isn't over, my story's just begun. Phil, you won't define me, cause that's what my father does. Yeah, Phil, you won't define me, cause that's what my father does. Ooh, lay your burdens down. Ooh, you're in the father's house. So check your shame at the door Cause it ain't welcome anymore you're in the Father's house I was not the end game The truth just wanted my heart and the story isn't over if the story isn't good failure's never final when the father's in the room yeah failure's never final when the father's in the room Shame at the door, sit ain't welcome anymore. Ooh, you're in the Father's house. 
take this life and breathe on this heart that is now. we surrender. God, we lay our lives down for you. And just as we start this morning, we lay down our mess, what we come with. And God, we thank you that you are a God that sees through that you see our hearts. Though we may feel like a mess, heavy with guilt and heavy with shame, thank you that you see us through Jesus and that sin is washed away. So, God, we give our hearts to you this morning. God, we release the stuff that we're holding on to. We give it to you. Thank you that you are a faithful God. What you've promised in your scripture will come to pass. We can trust in you. And trust that you will see us through. And trust that you will lovingly take down those walls brick by brick in our lives to reveal our true selves. Continue to mold us and shape us to be more like you, Jesus. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys take a seat? Well, good morning once again. I want to say a special welcome to anybody who may be here for the first time, any guests who may be here for the first time this morning. A special welcome to you. And also, if you may be watching online for the first time today, welcome to you guys as well. For those of you guys in the, in the service who are here for the first time, you can, um, well, first of all, welcome. I already said that four times now. But you can head back into the lobby after the service and meet someone at the connect table. We have a special gift that we'd love to give you. And um, also, there's a little connect card that you can fill out with a little bit of information about yourself. And we'd love to send you a gift later on this week as well. And if you guys are watching online, there'll be a little link that'll pop in the comments so you can fill out as well. And you'll be in on that gift as well. A um, couple announcements for today before we get rolling along. This Friday, Sunrise Students, this will be for the, I think, you, the middle school and high school together, be um, joining up for bowling at Hudsonville Lanes. So 7 p.m. this Friday. If you have any questions, you can um, connect with Corey on that. The students, the cost is $15. So meet up at the bowling Hudsonville Lanes this Friday. So it's super fun. Next Next Sunday, we are super excited to announce that we've been talking about this for a little bit now, but it is our 20th anniversary. Sunrise is 20 years old, you guys. It's kind of crazy. Yes, yes, yes. So um, we have a few special fun little surprises to give to you guys as well, and I'm planning with the worship team some the greatest hits over the past 20 years for worship, so we'll be having fun with that as well. So make sure you come back Sunday. We'll have some um, extra special donuts as well, so watch out for that. Um, I think that's, that's all the announcements I have for us. There's a couple more things that we're rotating um, 
on the slides before service and after service about some other events coming up, but we'll talk about those as we get closer. Um, also, before we get into our greeting time, we have um, offering. So just a reminder, this church is so generous, so good, um, and by giving... They, we help to sow into the kingdom and bring impact down the street and across the world here in, here in Jenison, but also um, to our partners across the world in Niger and also in India. It's all because of generosity that, and your faithfulness that we can do that. So three ways to give is to giving online in the app, also in our beautiful box in the back, and um, also by mail. So that said, why don't we stand up, why don't we greet one another, find someone you don't know maybe, say hi. The kids are free to go to their programming. Let's talk for a few minutes. Good morning. So I hate to interrupt. Also, I was told it's my job. So, good morning. It's good to see all of your faces. It's fun. I love the vantage point from up here of like seeing faces and seeing conversations. It's one of my favorite things about what I get to do this morning. Sometimes God says or does or seems to say or seems to do things that don't make sense, that I don't like, that make me uncomfortable. Some of them with study or time or perspective or hindsight make a little bit more sense, and some of them never do. So our text this morning actually includes some of those things that I don't like that make me uncomfortable. And the more I study them, I have a little bit more peace. But other things, like, I'm very honored to be here today, but I wish I weren't. And I don't know if it'll ever make sense. But this morning, uh, if, you're, if you're a person who likes to follow along in your Bible or on your phone or your tablet, you can get those out. We'll be in Matthew 11. If you're reading digitally and want to share the same version I'm in, I'm in Christian Standard Bible. If you're a person who likes to just listen, that's fine as well. Actually, many of these stories were written to be heard and not read. But my plan today is to read this text to go back and give us a couple of tools to see if we can make sense of what's going on and then to see maybe how that ties into prayer is confession. We're continuing in your sermon series on, on prayer. Um, you started, I think you actually started maybe with um, the Lord's Prayer, but then you moved into prayer as intercession and then prayer as provision. And then this week is prayer as confession. I'm going to pray, then we'll read the text. God, be we thank you for the ways that your spirit has been working to orchestrate what Pastor Dan brought this morning, the ways his heart was praying, was inviting us to see you, to see us, to see us in light of you. We thank you that your spirit has led and coordinated. <laughs> Tune our hearts to hear you, to be aligned with what you have to say. Father, will you protect my words? Block out the ones that are not of you and give me the ones that are. We'll watch for you this morning and this week. Amen. So we're in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 20. I'm going to read it, and then we'll go back and talk about it a little bit. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. Then Jesus proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. <laughs> but I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? 
No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. And he said, all these things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So when I was given prayer as confession for this week, and I was given this text, the first two things I do is read the text and then try to figure out what is confession. So the first thing I think of, it's like a courtroom setting, a confession. I did it, I did the embezzling, I did the lying, I did the murder, whatever. That's a confession. But then I thought, okay, what is biblical confession? And this word isn't actually in this text, so I thought, where is it? Okay, First uh, John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So I went to First John and I looked up this word, confess. And in the Greek, it's a two-part word. It's like a preposition and a noun stuck together, and it makes a new noun, and this is pretty common. And it's from a preposition that means along the lines of together or similar or like. And then a word that means word or speech or communicating what's in the mind verbally. And it's stuck together, and it's, it's, it's like word. It's a similar saying. It's to same say. So I looked up this word as a whole instead of as two halves, and it has a three-part definition. The three parts are to agree, to share a vision of something, to, to see it the same way. The second one is to concede something is true. This can be in a general way, or it can be like in a, conf like, um, a wrongdoing or a judicial kind of connotation. But to say something is true and the third is to acknowledge something, especially publicly, to confess. So this is why the same word that means a courtroom confession also means to confess love. Or Augustine's confessions, where he's writing what he has come to see as true about God and himself and scripture, it's a confession. It's a statement of what is true. So I want to give you a couple of tools, too, for this text before we dive back in. The first is this. In the first paragraph, there are six cities mentioned. Who are these cities? So there's um, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum, and there's Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. Bethsaida and Chorazin are the first pairing, and Chorazin is not mentioned elsewhere in Scripture except in the parallel passage, which is, I think, in Luke. But Bethsaida is mentioned, and so we're going to draw a little imaginary map right here. Here is... The, um, here's the Dead Sea, here's the Jordan River, here's the Sea of Galilee, the Mediterranean's over there. And all three of these cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, are kind of right here at the top. So Bethsaida and Chorazin especially are close together. Bethsaida is mentioned a lot, like maybe the third most mentioned city in the Gospels. It's where Peter and Andrew were born. It's, where, it's near where Peter walked on the water. It's where, they, where Jesus fed the 5,000. It's where the blind man was healed. This is Bethsaida, and Chorazin is really close, so they're, 
they're kind of paired. Capernaum then is also in the same region. It's considered to be probably the home base of Jesus' ministry. It's where, um, who did I just mention? Peter and Andrew. It's where Peter and Andrew moved to when they left Bethsaida. It's where Peter's mother-in-law was healed. It's where the paralyzed man's friends lowered him through the roof to be healed. This is Capernaum. Okay, so Tyre and Sidon. In our little map, here's the Mediterranean. They're kind of over here on the Mediterranean Sea. They are known to be places condemned. They were maybe cultic centers of Baal worship, um, where somebody other than Yahweh was worshipped. They're Phoenician cities. Jezebel, who was married to one of the Israelite kings, I was thinking Solomon because that's a fair guess. Like, pure numbers, it seems like a good guess. But I think it wasn't him. Maybe um, Ahaz? Ahab? Look at you all. Okay, there we go. Ahab's wife, Jezebel, was from there, and she converted a bunch of the Israelites to Baal worship, and so that does not speak well of this place. And then Sodom, too. This is from, you know this place from a difficult story in the Old Testament that um, has a lot of ongoing implications for our world today. Um, But regardless, Sodom and Gomorrah were condemned. You know those stories. Um, Sodom, too, and Abraham and Lot were dividing up where they wanted to go. It's where Lot looked over that way and said, I'm going that way. Um, So these are the places in this story. Then in the next chunk, in the few verses, it talks about, Jesus says, you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. So what are these things? And who are the wise and intelligent, especially compared with the infants? These things is something about what Jesus was just talking about. Something about what the Galilean cities, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum didn't get that the other cities would have gotten. Something about that unclear-ish, kind of clear, but something about what they missed that could have been gotten because it was hidden from them. And the wise and intelligent are proud people. Might have been the Pharisees and scribes, but in general, it's people who don't need to be told anything. People who've got it. They know what God needs from them. They know what's going on in the world. They don't need anybody to teach them. In comparison with infants, people who are humble, people who say, what am I missing? What do I need to be shown? The other thing that's really difficult for me is that this feels like Jesus is talking to his father and is celebrating that some people are kept out, and I don't like that. We'll see if we can find something that makes a little more sense. So let's look at this text again. What's going on with these cities, right? What is happening? We talked a little bit about proud people don't need anything. These people would have been witness to Jesus' ministry, Jesus' miracles, Jesus' teaching. They had every opportunity to hear what God was revealing to the world in the person of Jesus, and they missed it. Probably because, right, certain people got it, we know that, but they missed it. They they weren't willing to learn something new, to take in new information about what that meant about who Jesus was, about how God interacted in the world, about what that meant for them, for their sin, for their life, for where the kingdom was and where the kingdom was not. They missed it. They weren't interested. So Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. 
what do we do with this? What do we do with a God who, on reading this, looks like he wants to keep people out? What else do we know about this kind of God that might help us? Right? We know that God has said, I did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We know that God said that, that what is said too in scripture is anyone who will acknowledge Jesus before others, Jesus will acknowledge before the Father in heaven. That's actually one chapter earlier in, in Matthew chapter 10. If we will acknowledge Jesus, Jesus will acknowledge us. What we begin to see is that we have a God whose heart is to be known, whose heart is to be revealed to people, whose heart is to welcome people in. That's why the incarnation happened. That's why Jesus came. As I looked up this, it says, um, Jesus can reveal the Father to anyone the Son desires to reveal him. In other versions, it says the Son chooses to reveal him. And it's almost more like uh, anyone who comes, I will come to as well. It's a little bit less like I have four last tickets to the Eras tour and who will I give them to? I'm actually not a Swifty, but it's fine. Felt apropos. Um, it's a little bit less like I have a limited number and I will dole them out carefully and a little bit more like anyone who wants me, I want to. If the cities had just changed their mind, if they had seen differently, they would have been welcomed. They would have been saved. What kind of God are we worshiping? Kelly last week brought to our attention again Philippians 4, right? Don't worry about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So God is the kind of God that when we bring what we need, God will respond to us in a positive way. Both when we bring, I don't want to be one of these cities, whatever's going on, but also when I bring, God, I don't understand this text. Will you show me what you're doing so that I can see it the way you're seeing it? Will you show me what's going on because I don't like it? And as we talked about in intercessory prayer, we don't always get the answer we want, but what we find is when we bring our requests to God, the answer is peace because it reminds me, I will confess what is true of God. I will say that this is a God who loves, who is welcoming, who draws people in, who longs to be in relationship, who will pay any cost for that. So while this text I may not have perfect answers for, I have some thoughts that if you want to know, you can ask me later. I may not know specific answers, but what I know, what I will confess is what is true of this God. I will name that this God is good, that this God has gone to the ends of the earth to be in relationship with us. That I can say. And we know we don't have reason to fear because on the heels of, I know the Father and the Father knows the Son and the Son reveal the Father, the next thing Jesus says is, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. It's an invitation in. On the heels of this statement that's not stinginess is an invitation to come, to rest. So where do we land then? Where does this text take us? Our hearts as people who are in the family of God, our hearts as people who love God, are always to say, God, show me what you have. Show me what is true so that I can say, okay, God, you're right. Show me what is true about my community, about my country, about my neighborhood, about my church, about myself. 
about myself is where we'll spend most of our time this morning, but anything we say there is equally true about our nation, about our schools, about our churches, about our communities. We seek to be people who stand before God and say, show me what you see. And we know that God will. In Jeremiah 33, the word, the word says, um, God came again to the prophet and said, Tell the people, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. And in that prophecy, it says God came again. And so we know we're in the middle of some bigger story. And it's actually a story about like outside nations that will come and um, decimate enemies. So in that way, that text has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But the way it does have something to do with what we're talking about is it reveals something about who God is. It shows us that God is a God who wants to reveal, who wants to tell us things we couldn't know on our own. And in that way, because it's about God's character, it's a direct application to what we're talking about. We also know God's people have been asking since forever for God to reveal more that they need to see, that they need to know. Listen to these words from um, the book of Psalms, from Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Did you hear that? And lead me in the path of everlasting life. As people who long to grow in Christ's likeness, who long to be actors like God in the world, who long to take the kingdom where the kingdom is not, we say, God, show me what I need to see so that I can say, yeah, God, you know what? You're right. Confession is a two-way street. It's us coming before God in prayer. Prayer is just being in God's presence, right? It's often as much about listening as it is speaking. Saying, God, show me what you see of me. And then when God reveals something, we say, okay, God, you're right. At the same time, it's us coming before God and saying, hey, God, this is what's true of me. I'm selfish. I have bad motivations. And God says, yeah, I know. It's a two-way, yeah, you're right. It's an agreement. It's a same saying. It's a confession. The city saw no need for a savior, no need for forgiveness, no need for a God to mediate. We need to be people who can see where we're in the wrong, where I'm just a crankpot, where I'm selfish. This week I was reading in um, Brennan Manning's Abba Father, Abba's Child, and then as I was studying for the sermon, I was reading Richard Foster's book called Prayer, and they actually both said the same thing. They were talking about a specific kind of prayer called examen, where we invite God to um, explore with us our last week or our last day and to help us see what God sees. And listen to what um, Richard Foster had to say about this kind of prayer of God, show me what I need to see. Listen to what he said. To begin with, if we are the lone examiners of our heart, a thousand justifications will arise to declare our innocence. We will call evil good and good evil, as Isaiah says. But since God is with us in the search, we are listening more than we're defending. Our petty rationalizations and evasions of responsibility simply will not tolerate the light of his presence. He will show us what we need to see when we need to see it. At the other end of the spectrum, is our tendency for self-flagellation. 
if left to our own devices, it is so easy for us to take one good look at who we truly are and declare ourselves unredeemable. Our damaged self-image votes against us and we begin beating ourselves mercilessly. But with God alongside us, we are protected and comforted. He will never allow us to see more than we are able to handle. He knows that too much introspection can harm more than help. So in God's presence, we ask, Holy Spirit, help me see me as you see me. The broken, the fallen, the redeemed, the Christ-like, the gracious, the beloved. Give me grace to stand in this place between self-justification and self-flagellation, because neither is going to help. When we're standing before God and God says to us, hey, that was a pretty selfish response. Yeah, God, I know. And we say, hey, God, I'm really selfish. God says, yeah, I know. But we can do this in God's presence because God is not a dictator. God is not out to get us. Or maybe harder for some of us to wrap our minds around, God is not a disappointed parent. God is not a tired parent. God is not a lover with trauma speaking into this situation. God's response to us will always be, yeah, I know. My mentor and her husband and my parents do this really ridiculous thing that's so cute. If you were to tell one partner a quirk about the other, like, hey, your partner is like really socially awkward and it's embarrassing. They're like, yeah, I know. But they do it with so much love in their eye. In fact, they're going to know this better than you do because they spend a lot of time with that person in public. But there's so much love. They don't care. They know it's true and it's covered with so much grace and so much love. And I think this is a better image for what it's like when we tell God, hey God, I responded more out of, I think I deserve what that person has and I think I'm better equipped for it. And even if I don't have it, they definitely shouldn't. Even if I did have it, they shouldn't have it. God, that was really ugly of me. And God's like, yeah, <laughs> I know. And our belovedness is on full display. When we same say with God about who we are, there's rest and there's healing. And we begin to build this trust bank of the last time I said what was true of me before God, I watched how God responded. And maybe next time I can say something even harder because there's enough trust that if that's how God responded last time, maybe it's how God will respond this time. And I think this is what Foster was talking about when he talked about God will reveal what we can handle when we can handle it. There are things God shows me about myself now that if I had been shown 10 years ago, I would have been crushed. But now I can, those things can come into the light in God's presence. And I look for that response. And the look is always love and is always welcome. And I'm safe. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me. This yoke is light because the weight of having to pretend before you, before God, before myself, that I'm not selfish or that I always have good motives, that is a heavy burden. It's a hard mask to wear. And the more I realize I don't have to wear it and I'm still beloved, the lighter I can become. And I get to the point where if you call me selfish, like, I know. If the God of the universe thinks I'm still okay, it doesn't matter what you think of me. And there's freedom 
This is why confession is not about shame. Confession is about rest and an easy yoke. When I was here last December preaching, I was here in the Advent series talking about love. And the text I used was Matthew 11, 28 to 30, which is this text. The reason this text can be both in a sermon series about love and in a sermon series about prayer and talking about confession is like the Jeremiah passage. It's about revealing who God is. Right? So when in December we were talking about God as love became incarnate as a person, which means that I can have limits because God has limits. I don't have to be both extrovert and introvert. I don't have to be both street smart and book smart, and in fact, I might be neither. I can be who I am, and God understands. God made me this way, and in fact, God intentionally took on limits as well. So come to me, all of you who are weary because love in Advent reminds us that God's burden is light. And confession means that God's burden is light because I come into my pre- God's presence and I say, let me see what you see so that I can agree with you because there's a lot of room for rest there. The more I contemplate this kind of forgiveness and welcome from this kind of God, What springs up in my soul is hope and is joy and is love and is longing to be in relationship with this kind of God. What springs out of my soul is true statements, confessions about who God is that look a lot like worship. Actually, in this text, when Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that word, I praise you, is actually another version of the same Greek word that is confess. So we had same say, and then we took the preposition from on the front. From same saying. From stating what is true about God is praise. From stating what is true about God, the only response that I can have is worship. It's the only place I can go. I can actually become excited for God to reveal more about me because the more things God shows me about who I am, the more times I have to say, wow, look at God respond to me this way. I can be thankful. So today I want you to hear prayer as confession is time in God's presence saying, invite me in. Show me what I need to see. And prayer is confession, and confession is belovedness. And confession leads us to the goodness of God. It's not about shame. It's about restoration and rest. What is hidden? What is God longing to reveal to you? What are you afraid to see? What's keeping you from coming to the Father? Because prayer is confession, and confession is belovedness, and confession as belovedness can only land in the goodness of God. Let's respond to God this morning in worship. Let's sing together.
It's right. 
God, we thank you. We thank you for the ways that for those of us who are in your family, we look back and we see the ways that you've made us more like you. We see the ways that you've invited us in. And when we've said, yeah, God, you're right. You have changed our hearts. We thank you that the doors are wide open for us to come. So God, as we go through our weeks, draw our hearts to a place of quiet and rest and space to listen long enough and quiet enough for you to tell us what it's true of us so that we can see the love in your eyes. As we go from this place, put reminders in our weeks that you are attentive to us and that you are pursuing us. And we will say thank you. Amen. You're dismissed.